Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band, full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more info. We meet tonight at a moment of unlimited potential. As we begin a new Congress, I stand here ready to work with you to achieve historic breakthroughs for all Americans. Millions of our fellow citizens are watching us now gathered in this great chamber, hoping that we will govern not as two parties, but as one nation. Just in uh, from our CBS News uh, instant poll here following the president's State of the Union, 76% of speech watchers said they approved of what they heard. 72% said they approved of the president's ideas for immigration. I don't think that's what they were expecting. I know it ain't what uh, Stephanopoulos was expecting. It is President Trump wrapping up his third speech to the House chamber, his second State of the Union, echoing the key themes of his campaign, Make America Great Again, by telling the American people to choose greatness, telling the members of Congress tonight to choose greatness. He said coming in it would be a call to unity, and there were moments that unified that chamber tonight, cheering for those D-Day veterans. For the first prisoners released as a result of the President's first step back, prison reform, Matthew Charles. If he wanted to try to get the, the, some unity and a, an appeal for unity in the House and in the Senate, Democrats and Republicans, did he succeed? Well, he did uh, at, at times during the speech. Obviously, the moments with uh, Grace Eline, the, the young girl battling cancer, uh, the moment at the end uh, with the soldier who helped liberate Dachau and uh, the old man who had once been a little boy who was a prisoner at Dachau. Obviously, these are, these are wonderful moments, stirring moments. Yes, stirring moments. You know, the only network that had someone who didn't find anything good about the president's speech was Fox. Juan Williams thought it was uh, a lame speech. He, he kind of echoed Ann Coulter's comments, which is fascinating to me. And I pointed that out to Miss Coulter. Um, <laughs> just, you know, sometimes you have to understand that it is, it's more important the content of a speech than the delivery. You know, to watch the pundits last night talking about the delivery or even myself, catching myself, um, you know, frowning at uh, Stacey Abrams' delivery. And I thought to myself, but try and concentrate, Joyce. You need to concentrate right now on what she's saying, on what the message is, because this is the this is the Democrat response. This is not just Stacey Abrams speaking. This is the Democrat uh, Party speaking. And this is their response to the president's State of the Union address. And like I pointed out earlier, it seemed as though she was responding to a speech that the president didn't give, um, which is the first sign that um, they don't really have answers to the problems of America because he he. He laid out a bunch of solutions, and instead of challenging the solutions, it became the usual Donald Trump can't do anything right um, 
nonsense. And I don't think people, I don't think that resonates with people. Obviously it doesn't if 76% of the people thought it was a great speech. It's obviously not working for them very well. But of course you would have never known that to watch television, even Fox last night. It was all about, uh, you know, the preemptive superstar of the, how many superstars are there now in the Democrat party? Okay, let's, we got Beto, um, Beto O'Rourke, we have AOC, we have um, this uh, Stacey Abrams, we have Kamala, Kamala, whatever, Harris, we have uh, Cory Booker. They're all the up-and-coming superstars, right? Oh, this, this time, all the youth and excitement is on the uh, Democrat side. Remember last time there were 17 nominees for the Republican nomination, and all the youth and excitement was on the Republican side. Now, mind you, none of the exciting youth ended up with the nomination. The oldest person on the stage ended up with the nomination. I, I do believe Donald Trump was older than anybody else on that stage. And he ended up with the nomination. So this fantasy that the uh, media has, that it's going to be a young, vital person with the socialistic ideas that's going to lead the party to you know victory, is, pretty, is based on nothing. That's not what ends up ever happening. It's going to be some, I'm guessing, that it's going to be some tired, older dude that for all these women you got Tulsi Gabbard Kamala Harris Elizabeth Warren um, you got all these women who have jumped into this race and I don't think any of them can actually win I don't think they can win the primary never mind win the general election I think you're still looking at stronger men in the field and uh, that's just a reality. It doesn't mean that uh, women aren't equals. It just means that uh, this is a, uh, a slugfest. If you're going to go up against Donald Trump, you got to be able to not only throw a punch, you got to be able to take a punch. And uh, at least that I can say. Hillary Clinton took a bunch of punches, and she didn't exactly stay on her feet. She looked like she kept falling over all the time. But for the most part, she was pretty resilient. And and he certainly uh, called calling her crooked Hillary every time he opened his mouth was a little uh, had to be a little unsettling for crooked Hillary. Even when you are crooked, you don't want anybody uh, calling you that, right? But I, I look at that field as it's emerging, and all I can see is the real strength in the Democrat Party, just like the real strength in the Republican Party, is going to be some senior members. Whether that's Joe Biden, which I seriously uh, question. I think he is, um, I think he's too old, to be honest. I think you don't want two old men uh, duking it out up there because then it's going to be a snooze fest for the most part for, on the Democrat side because, you know, I know uh, Joe wants to take him out behind the woodshed or behind the high school or whatever the heck it is he said uh, last year. But in reality, nobody thinks that uh, Joe Biden could, you know, beat Donald Trump's butt or beat him in an election, to be honest. So you got to be looking at one of the younger guys and uh, who's that going to be? Is it going to be Cory Booker? Sure, Sherrod Brown isn't that much younger. Um, who else we got? Beto is really their uh, superstar young guy. Problem with Beto is, you know, he's on the road writing his diary. <laughs> and every day he looks more foolish. Is anybody following that diary besides, 
you know, pundits like me who are forced to do it. I don't even bring it to the air because it's so lame. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I don't know how many of you journal or, or keep diaries. I happen to be a person that has journaled for the last 40 years, which is why eventually there really is a couple of books in me. But, I, you know, when I journal, I'm not thinking about an audience. I'm thinking about re recording the events for posterity, for myself. And I make it a habit to break out a journal um, and read it a couple of years after it's been written. And I got to tell you, if, if Beto is like me and he breaks out this journal in a couple of years, he's going to be super embarrassed, man. You know, one thing you learn in journal writing, if you're doing that, is that you don't put, you know, this silly, selfish, uh, self-aggrandizing stuff in your journal. Like five people recognized me at the uh, Dandy Donuts today. Like you don't do that, you know, and, and I could have done it just as easily as Beto could have done that. But a journal is supposed to be about the inner struggle and the, the perspective that you uh, have developed as you looked out on life and the interactions that you had with people or at your workplace. And, you know, Beto's not working. He's just like roaming around the country <laughs> for a year. He wants to meet the people. And, uh, you know, uh, I think the most startling thing to him has been, has been that not everybody knows who the hell he is. You know, he lives in that little political cocoon where they think that uh, because they get on CNN or they uh, are in a town hall with uh, Anderson Cooper that the whole country remembers them. And then they go out there and uh, nobody even, uh, you know, notices when they walk into the diner. It's it's true. I have to tell you, I've been with some pretty um, major celebrities over the years. And uh, with very few exceptions, they make every effort to be undistinguishable. They try to select places where... You know, nobody's going to be expecting them to be and then sort of trying to blend into the background. Um, Beto, on the other hand, goes marching into all of these areas and then he's like, you know, literally um, writing down how few people recognize him. Somehow, I don't think he gets the concept of journaling, really, but we'll see. You know, maybe one day uh, they'll uh, give him a Nobel Award for literature or something because if you're a Democrat, you know, the Nobel Committee is very eager to give you a reward, an award, although I, I'm sure they wish they could take back the award they gave to uh, President Obama because, you know, every time the, they are asked, they, what exactly did he win that award for? They don't have a good answer, and, you know, after a while, it's embarrassing. Anyway, uh, stay right where you are. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. As we speak, large, organized caravans are on the march to the United States. We have just heard that Mexican cities, in order to remove the illegal immigrants from their communities, are getting trucks and buses to bring them up to our country in areas where there is little border protection. I have ordered another 3,750 troops to our southern border to prepare for this tremendous onslaught. This is a moral issue. The lawless state of our southern border is a threat to the safety, security, and financial well-being of all America. 
We have a moral duty to create an immigration system that protects the lives and jobs of our citizens. This includes our obligation to the millions of immigrants living here today who followed the rules and respected our laws. Legal immigrants enrich our nation and strengthen our society in countless ways. I want people to come into our country in the largest numbers ever, but they have to come in legally. Yeah, well, there's where I disagree with the president, and I'm not afraid to, uh, to call out, you know, the things that I disagree with. That's some really bad news this morning. Uh, one of um, a, a, a talk show host that I've known for years and who actually filled in for me a couple of times, Doc Thompson, was killed yesterday while jogging near ra- railroad tracks. He got hit by Amtrak. Um, he was 50 years old. He was, um, he'd worked for the Blaze Radio Network, and uh, for a period of time we were actually... I believe, thinking about him being here. He leaves behind his wife and three young children. And uh, it's just a sad story, you know. That um, I'm terrified of railroad tracks. There's an area right by the church that we have to cross over. Um, if you're on Powerline Road and you're going to be making a left on Prospect Road, there's this sort of crazy area where the train swings around. And it doesn't look like any traditional crossing. I mean, it does have gates, but you can't even tell where the gates are because it's a circular kind of thing. And I am so nervous when I come to that corner. I will stop people will start beeping their horns at me because I'm just stopping. I'm checking. I want to listen. I rolled out my window to see if I hear a train because I'm just not sure where the gate is and whether it's going to, you know, I'm going to be in the middle of the tracks or something terrible. Um, I can't think of anything worse than being hit by a railroad train. So, uh, which brings us to another subject, the Bright Line. Do you realize that 18 or 14 people have been killed on those Brightline tracks in 18 months. That seems like uh, too many people. Anyway, stay tuned. I'll be talking with David Ray from the Federation of American Immigration Reform next. Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional, serve from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information. All right, Joyce Kaufman, back with you. And my guest from the Federation of American Immigration Reform is Dave Ray. How you doing, Dave? Hey, Joyce. How you doing? Good to chat with you. Again. It's, uh, it's good, except when the subject matter is the fact that uh, illegal aliens in Florida are about uh, one and a half times as likely to be incarcerated as the rest of us. Yeah, you know, we uh, t- took a look at the data from from the SCAP program. That's the program that states who have large illegal alien populations that are incarcerated submit for reimbursement to the federal government. And so we looked at the top 
10 states and one of those that, that comprise about uh, 65% of the illegal aliens in the country, so the vast majority of illegal aliens. And in Florida, Florida uh, illegal aliens are actually almost twice as likely to be incarcerated as legal residents. Nationally, uh, the, the average is three times the rate of legal residents, so it's actually worse in other states. In New Jersey, it's five and a half times the rate of legal residents. Wow. But uh, the, the folks who are incarcerated in Florida, you know, these are on state crimes, not federal crimes. So these right. are not immigration crimes. These are crimes that range from, you know, rape, murder, domestic abuse, drunk driving. And their average stay uh, in Florida jails is about seven months. So this isn't jaywalking. This is serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, this study should put to rest once and for all about the criminality of the nation's alien population and the huge cost that it exacts on uh, Florida taxpayers and U.S. taxpayers in general. Yeah, because, I, you know, obviously we know that not every illegal immigrant is a criminal or a potential criminal. But the issue has always been uh, stop telling us that they're better or they, uh, you know, they have a, a, a lesser incarceration right. rate when that's simply not true. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's the false narrative, and it's been pushed forth by, you know, your open borders advocates who decide to leave out uh, crimes committed by illegal aliens that, in that include, you know, using fraudulent social security numbers, obtaining false driver's license, using fake green cards, uh, and properly uh, accessing public benefits. You drop, drop all of those, uh, and, uh, you know, you can warp the numbers to say what you want to, but the SCAP data, in order to be reimbursed for the SCAP program, you have to have committed at least two misdemeanors or one felony. So these, like I said, these, these aren't people who are jaywalking. This, these are people who... And, you know, for anybody who's ever had their their uh, identity stolen, I don't think people would say that's a, a that's a mild crime. Not when you're the victim of it. Nice. But clearly, it it underscores the need to regain control of the border, to know more about the people who are coming into our country, so that we can prevent the criminality before it gets here. Because obviously, once it does get here, uh, it has huge downside on people's lives and cost us lots of tax dollars and i think that's the part that um you know we need to be talking about more which is the fiscal uh, burden right. that illegal immigration yeah. puts on the average taxpayer because you know and and it's it's such a variety of ways in which this happens incarceration um, being just one of them it is overburdened right. schools it's hospitals that uh, are overcrowded um, it's housing that is right. that becomes less desirable I mean they just uh, refuse to talk about the fiscal side of it because I think they think it makes us look callous or indifferent I don't believe that at all I'm not callous towards America no, you know, what's, what's shocking about this study is that it only includes state data. So right. People who are, who are convicted of federal crimes that would be immigration fraud, immigrant smuggling. You've heard about some of the, you know, uh, sex slave smuggling and so on. None of those folks are included in this data. It would make the data even more skewed. But, I mean, 
illegal immigration is an enormous cost, $116 billion a year. I mean, in Florida, the cost of illegal aliens and their kids is about uh, uh, $4.7 billion a year. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. And as you said, uh, these are costs that could easily be controlled if the government took its responsibility to control immigration seriously. I think the president made a great case for it last night during the State of the Union, and we're certainly are going to be talking about immigration for the... Uh, <laughs> not going to stop talking about it anytime soon with two or three caravans on their way, but it is, you know, whether or not Congress deals with this problem, we're going to keep paying for it. Absolutely, and, I, you know, I get into these debates all the time, as I know you do, where they tell yeah. me, oh, but do you realize how much... Uh, how many tax contributions we experience from illegal aliens? And I go, well, it 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 doesn't measure up. I mean, no. uh, you know, the, we're talking total national cost versus what right. they may have paid, and I don't see that as being substantial. Yeah, yeah. The the hundred and sixteen billion dollar figure I gave you is after taxes paid. Before taxes paid, it's a hundred and. Thirty-five billion. Ah. When you take away the tax, but so it's one hundred and sixteen billion net cost. I mean, when you think about it intuitively, you know, your average uh, immigrant has two to three children, and so if you're, um, you know, living in uh, Delray and working under the table as a, a bus boy or something, and you have two or three kids in the, the local school system, that's twelve to fifteen thousand dollars per child. So the idea that you're paying more in taxes than just just to cover the cost of educating your children, I mean the math just doesn't add up. And then you put on to that, you know, welfare programs that your citizen children might uh qualify for, you know, obviously the cost of incarceration if you uh uh break the law, you have um uh, you know, all sorts of public assistance and housing and so on. It gets very expensive very quickly. It certainly does. And, and um, you know, it's up to the public. You know, it's up to the citizens, the people who are listening to these radio program right now, um, to contact their representatives. I mean, they work for us. And the government right. needs to be asked, you know, what are you doing um, to, sh you know, to 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 combat this problem we have uh increasing costs i mean i look at the amount of taxes that i pay and i live in a state with no no state tax um right. so i'm one of the fortunate ones my kids live in california um between right. state local city county sales water taxes and everything else that's thrown at them um in support of a massive illegal immigration po population um you're going to drive all of the wage earners out of these places well, that's what's happening in California. You know, that's the state that really has the largest illegal alien population. And in California, illegal aliens are 3.3 times as likely as legal residents to be incarcerated. What's interesting about California, uh, as you might know, Joyce, is that it's a sanctuary state. So they've actually thrown down the thrown out the welcome mat for illegal aliens and said, you know, if you come here, we will not cooperate with state and local uh, or with federal immigration officials to remove you uh, if you do end up being incarcerated and you are an illegal alien. Yet at the same time, they submit to the uh, their receipts to the federal government for reimbursement. So 
you know, the idea of maybe not giving these states who are sanctuaries their SCAP reimbursements. I mean, they're incentivizing illegal immigration. Why should taxpayers in other states help them, uh, un, you know, pay for the cost of it when they're encouraging it in the first place? Yeah, listen, these are the questions that I've been asking for the last 20 odd years. And uh, very seldom getting any answers, you know. Uh, so you're blue in the face. I'm right? blue in the face. It's like you know, <laughs> banging my head against the proverbial wall. And here, you know, I finally have a president who at least will talk about this subject. Um, right. And yet, uh, the, you know, he has no assistance. He has no assistance from the Republicans. He has yep. nothing but obstruction from the Democrats. And the American public is, uh, you know, not even engaged anymore in some of this. Yeah, you know, uh, we've had a national security and humanitarian crisis on the border for probably at least the last decade. It right. was never, never really looked up, uh, examined and focused on by the president. Finally, we have a president who has uh, put a lot of emphasis and a lot of focus on it. Now, we had some good bills passed in the House, but obviously we hit a stone wall in the Senate. And now we have, uh, you know, the filibuster uh, that stops anything from going through the Senate. And now the Democrats have the House, and they're more interested in talking about open borders and abolishing ICE. So I don't know if, what President Trump's going to do. Hopefully he's going to uh, stay on this and get some of what he wants for funding the wall. I don't know if he's going to get the whole $5.7 billion, but hopefully he'll get close to that but uh, but now that amount it, amount sounds so puny when you talk about it is puny yeah the, the cost the, right the cost yeah. of of the illegal immigration problem in this country yeah. even state to state we every yeah. state could afford to build a fence oh absolutely it's a drop in the bucket compared yeah. to the cost that goes year in and year out but you know it, the president i think his pitch moving forward if he's going to run for re-election and it looks certainly like he's going to is that uh you know i'm sorry i didn't get the whole job done the first time i'm working on it but give me back a republican house and i will push through uh you know what we need to do to get the wall built i mean obviously if you take the politicians out of it and just ask the question the men and women who work the Border Patrol, who put their lives on the line, what do they think they need to stop this problem? Certainly, uh, there's no dispute that a wall is needed in certain places where fencing just simply won't hold back crowds of 2,000 people pressing against a chain-link fence. Um, but, you know, obviously, the border wall isn't a silver bullet, but it's a necessary component of a portfolio approach to immigration enforcement that would include you know mandatory e-verify cracking down on sanctuary cities and yeah where was that last night in the speech that was e-verify was missing chain migration was missing these were things he talked yeah. about last year yeah i mean i think uh he decided to focus on illegal immigration enforcement um uh, I don't think you would have had the the the, uh, the House members in, in their white outfits getting up and clapping too much for any of those lines no. either. So no. I'm starting to think those ladies were glued to their chairs. Yeah, until they talked about themselves, you know, when it became yeah, the women it, in when, Congress. When we started talking about themselves, then they got up and yeah. were ready to celebrate. But when he was, you know, doing all these great applause lines for 
for America and what a great country we are and how, you know, people who've been locked out of jobs for all these years, Hispanics and, and black Americans are now working, uh, couldn't, couldn't manage, uh, to budge any of them. It was really kind of shocking and very telling. The other thing that was telling last night, uh, the difference between the two political parties is, you know, you look at Republicans and they brought along, you know, victims of, of criminal illegal aliens, surviving member, family members of, uh, of, of criminal aliens and illegal aliens, and they brought along law enforcement officers. Democrats largely brought along illegal aliens nice. who had yes and didn't want to go home. Yeah, exactly. So it shows you uh, what, what a difference we have, and then it's kind of underscored by the fact that, you know, the difference between the political class and the middle class is, is made made so crystal clear in the debate about illegal immigration. You know, the the ruling class says that walls are immoral, yet their million dollar mansions in Napa Valley are surrounded by walls. Right. Yes, I'm talking about Nancy Pelosi. Uh, so she has a wall to protect her, but the the you know average American, the middle class person who's asking for a wall to protect the nation. Uh, is not going to get that kind of treatment. Right, because they're a racist. Protect, right. Yeah, yeah they, they're racist. But name calling. That's they, right. It's hey. medieval, according to Chuck Schumer. So right, it's immoral and medieval, exactly. But, you know, the, I'm yeah. sure that you all at uh, FAIR breathed a sigh of relief, as did I, when there was no mention of amnesty, because some of the preliminary uh, talking points were he's going to want to offer up uh, DACA amnesty and all this other stuff, and yeah. that did not happen. So I was glad when he moved on to trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. Uh, we were. We we all breathed a sigh of relief nice. last night. We were hoping it wasn't going to happen. Honestly, you know, I don't know how he's supposed to make a deal with the Democrats. They don't seem to want anything that he offers. Right. He offered DACA. They're not interested. He offered extension of TPS. They're not interested. Not that we would want that either. Right. But uh, you know, how do you deal with people who simply? are so overwhelmed with their hatred for you that they can't get their job done. I mean, yeah. Their job is, they work for us. Their job is to move the country forward. And, you know, as he said yet last night, you know, maybe we can work together and not focus all your time on investigation. Yeah. <laughs> well, have legislation. A nice dream. Anyway, thanks so yeah. much. I appreciate your you time, bet. Dave. Have, have chat. You, take, you take care. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.